This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Lead On podcast. On this podcast, we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership and uh, try to take a fresh perspective on some of the challenges that come about with leading a church or a ministry organization. Now, today I'd like to talk about an issue that is uh, problematic for a number of people and seems to have become a growing problem over the past several years among ministry leaders. And that is, I want to talk about uh, alcohol use among ministry leaders and particularly uh, alcohol use among uh, people that are involved in leading Christian organizations. And so let's talk about that. First of all, this is a significant landscape change during my lifetime of ministry. Uh, When I first started out a number of years ago, uh, I did not know anyone in ministry leadership who used alcohol, and I did not know anyone in ministry leadership who even uh, thought about it or advocated for it or even was having a discussion about this subject. Uh, Abstinence among ministry leaders was an expectation, and uh, it was... Uh, not even really something that was open for discussion. Now, uh, that has certainly (laughs) changed in my lifetime of ministry leadership. Uh, I have a particularly personal perspective on alcohol, and it's important that I I share a little bit of that with you because uh, it's it's in that context of my story that some of my convictions were were created over the years. And there's no way that any of us can... uh, can have a perspective on something like alcohol use without being honest about how our personal experience with that subject impacts our our decision-making and impacts the position that we come to. So let me just tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, I was born in Georgia to a violent alcoholic father and uh, my mother. On my third birthday, my mom took me and uh, fled for our lives across four states and hid out in Texas. Uh, We never saw or heard from my biological father again. The stories in my family are that he was uh, violent, that he threatened my wife's or my uh, mother's life on uh, many occasions, and that some of the beatings that she endured caused our family to uh, fear for her life and to assist her in both her escape and in hiding out for a while in Texas, and then ultimately, after a couple of years, getting the divorce that she was seeking. So that's my earliest experience with alcohol. And then my mother married another man who also uh, was a drinker and uh, lived an alcoholic lifestyle the entire time they were married. And so I grew up in alcoholic chaos. Uh, I grew up with uh, irresponsibility, wasted resources, public embarrassment, all the things that go with having a family member, especially your father, uh, who is involved with alcohol use to such a point that it, it debilitates uh, the family. So when I was about 10 years old, and I was starting to gain some awareness of the world outside my own family circle and have some sense of uh, what life could be like, when I was about 10 years old, I took a long, hard look at the situation and decided I, I'm just not ever going to drink. I see what alcohol has done to my mother. I see what it's done to my family. I see what it's done to me in terms of embarrassment and other issues. And uh, I'm just not going to drink. And so here I am, 60 years old, about 50 years after I made that decision, and I've never had a drink of alcohol. I've never been drunk. I've never had a beer. I've never been out to to a place that involved social drinking. Uh, that focus just on that as an activity, I, I just I just never have. And I, I want to tell you this 
uh, part of my story because a lot of people think that the reason I don't drink is because I'm a Christian or because I'm a Christian ministry leader. In fact, uh, one of my uh, family members uh, recently came to visit our home and said, uh, and, and was shocked to discover that we didn't drink or serve alcohol. And she said, oh, you can't drink because you're a seminary president. Is that right? And I said, no, I, I just made a choice many years ago not to drink. And, and she was kind of shocked by that, by that revelation. So uh, the reason that I, I don't drink alcohol isn't that I'm a seminary president. It's not because I'm a Christian. It's not because I'm a minister. Uh, the reason I don't drink alcohol, never have, is because when I was 10 years old, uh, before I was a Christian, before I was involved in a church, before I had heard the gospel as far as I know, uh, before any of that, I simply took a, a hard look at the realities of life and what alcohol had done to my family and decided uh, I'm not going to be a part of that and I don't want that to be a part of my life. So for me, the alcohol issue uh, has never really been a Christian issue. It's never been a leadership issue and it's certainly never been a seminary issue. It's been a personal issue uh, of just a reasoned choice that I made. Now, over the years, I've been glad for that choice, and that choice has certainly been supported uh, by a number of things that have become a part of my life, like my Christian commitment, my call to ministry leadership, my role as a seminary president. Those things have certainly supported or added to strengthening my decision, but nevertheless, uh, my decision goes back to my childhood. So with that context in mind, I, I want to talk uh, for a few minutes about why I think it's best that ministry leaders uh, do not partake of alcohol and, in fact, have an abstinence policy in their lives. And uh, to do that, I want to I borrow uh, from the seminary's experience, and I want to tell you a little bit of our story on this issue. When I first became the president of Gateway 15 years ago, the seminary had an abstinence policy uh, written into its uh, governing documents and written into its student handbook and written into its uh, ethical conduct form that students are required to sign. Now, because at the time the seminary's primary campus was in the Bay Area and very close to wine country, uh, this was a controversial issue for a number of students, particularly local students who'd grown up in that culture. Uh, they wondered why the seminary had this policy, and there was some pushback on it, sometimes pretty aggressive pushback from students. Now remember, uh, not all our students are 22 years old right out of college coming into seminary. We have a number of students that are in their 50s or 60s, and some of these people didn't come to Christ until they were in their 40s or 50s, and they've had a pattern of uh, drinking wine with meals or a, a beer at a ball game, and that pattern has gone on for their entire lifetime, and they're wondering why necessarily we're challenging that uh, because they're enrolling in seminary. So all kinds of issues uh, were uh, arising about this policy. But we were unwilling to change the policy, but we, what, what we were willing to do is rethink how we presented it and how we interpreted it to our students. And so a few years ago, um, I actually wrote a, uh, uh, a, an, eth a, 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 an explanation, if you will, of the alcohol policy, and we added that to our ethical conduct form and to our student handbook. And while it hasn't eliminated all discussion about this issue, it has significantly changed the dialogue over the years so that now uh, there's hardly any real opposition to it. And students say, well, while I may not always agree with it, I do at least understand the reasons for it, and I'm willing to uh, cooperate with those reasons while I'm involved in seminary. So uh, what are the reasons for our alcohol policy? And broader, what are some reasons why I think it's best for people who are in ministry leadership uh, not to participate in drinking alcoholic beverages. Well, the first one is this. It's deference. 
Now, the seminary uh, is owned by the Southern Baptist Convention, which has repeatedly adopted resolutions calling for abstinence among uh, believers, both uh, uh, church members and church leaders. And so we recognize that we're owned by the Southern Baptist Convention, and the Southern Baptist Convention has uh, consistently over the years uh, and repeatedly over the years uh, by resolution taken a stand that abstinence is the preferred lifestyle choice for Christians, especially Christian leaders. Now, if you're uh, listening to this podcast and you're a Southern Baptist, and quite honestly, most of you who listen to my podcast probably are Southern Baptists, I would say the same thing's true for you. Uh, you have a deference responsibility. Uh, you want to work for a Southern Baptist church. You want to work for a Southern Baptist mission board. Uh, you want to start a church and be supported by Southern Baptist mission dollars and by mission support from Southern Baptist churches. And while we all understand our polity that the national denomination passing a resolution is not binding on any church or uh, in, the, in the convention, uh, those resolutions are significant because they do establish a public standard of expected behavior among m most Southern Baptists. And so if you're going to work for Southern Baptists, in, either in a church or a missions context or what other boards or agencies like a seminary, or if you're going to enjoy the, the, the mission dollars that flow from Southern Baptists to support you in church planting or some other missionary endeavor, I think you should show deference to those uh, who are supporting you financially or who are providing for your employment and, uh, and abstain from alcohol as they've requested that you do so. Okay, another significant reason for us is stewardship. The seminary, for example, uh, has decided that it simply will not devote staff time or financial resources to resolve the issues that would inevitably rise if alcohol use were sanctioned. For example, just imagine if we allowed alcohol use in our student housing. Uh, think about how it would change the behavior of some who would inevitably uh, abuse alcohol, who would inevitably uh, do things that were inappropriate in terms of their personal behavior, who would expose uh, the children in the, in the uh, housing to alcohol-related incidents. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of issues, and we would have to hire people uh, to monitor uh, the use of alcohol, to control the behavior of those who abused alcohol, to make sure alcohol was not used in an inappropriate way with children or among children or in front of children. Uh, all of that would require supervision, which means I would have to hire people to do that, and that's simply a, a use of resource that we're not willing to make. Uh, another way, that, another use of resource is uh, monitoring it on campus or at campus events. Uh, for example, there are all kinds of murky legal responsibilities for people who serve alcohol at events. So if you serve alcohol at a campus event, someone takes, uh, or someone drinks too much leaves and gets in a car accident, leaves and hits a person that's, uh, while uh, they're driving, uh, or in some way does something that damages property or person, uh, there's every bit reason to believe that the seminary would be held somewhat responsible for that. That would require us to devote le legal resources and financial resources to protecting the seminary in those settings. It's just hard for me to believe that Southern Baptists are sending us their cooperative program dollars and expecting us to spend some of that money to hire alcohol monitors or to pay attorneys uh, to uh, clean up the messes that people make because of the alcohol we may have served in an event. It's just inconceivable to me that Southern Baptists would want that. Now, as a ministry leader, you have that same stewardship responsibility. If you're going to consume alcohol, serve alcohol, let alcohol be a part of your ministry practice, uh, you're going to take on some risk for that, and you're going to have to devote some resources to managing the use uh, of that uh, 
of, of alcohol in your ministry setting. Uh, just like we do, uh, you're going to have to have people that monitor its use, monitor its sale, monitor its distribution. You're going to have to people monitor the consumption level of people who are pursuing or who are who are taking it in, and you're going to be somewhat responsible for what people do as a result of you providing alcohol to them. And so the stewardship responsibility in a ministry organization is significant as it relates to alcohol use. Are you willing to take on the responsibility of spending the money necessary uh, to take care of the problems that will arise because of the decision you've made to use or to provide alcohol? So uh, deference is one issue, and stewardship is a second issue. A third issue that we raise here with students is the issue of example. Uh, you know, the seminary recognizes that uh, most uh, ministry leaders are looked to as examples of behavior by the people who follow them. And so uh, one phrase that, that we sometimes use here is this, what leaders excuse in moderation, their followers will take to, to excess. And this is not just in the area of alcohol use, but it's in any area. Uh, when, lead, when followers see you doing something, they will assume that they can do it too, and, and they will almost inevitably take it much farther uh, than you would. Uh, take it out of the alcohol area, for example. Uh, I, I caution students when in the preaching class in the use of technology. And I say, for example, if you show a, a, a video clip from a movie, uh, every person who sees that clip is going to say, well, the pastor saw that movie. Uh, the pastor must have enjoyed the movie or he wouldn't have showed us a clip from the movie in the worship service. Therefore, I want to see the movie. And so the person goes home downloads the movie on Netflix, fires it up, and is shocked by the language, the violence, and the uh, sexuality that may be demonstrated in that particular movie. And yet they sit there thinking, well, pastor showed me part of this in church. And you say, but I just showed a tiny little bit. Exactly. But what your followers see you enjoying in moderation, they're going to take to excess. And so they simply watch the whole thing and, and, and conclude, well, if pastor's watching this kind of movie and showing pieces of it in the worship service, it must be all right for me to watch it too. And so in areas of life like this where people see leaders doing something, uh, they feel a permission is granted to them tacitly perhaps, uh, but permission nonetheless granted to them to take to uh, a greater level or to an excess what they see their leaders doing even in moderation. Same thing works with alcohol. You may say, well, does it really matter if I'm, uh, if I'm drinking a glass of wine uh, at a dinner or having a beer at a ball game? Is that really going to undermine my Christian faith? And is it really going to damage me spiritually? Well, I guess we could have a debate about that. Perhaps it won't. But what about the 11, 12, 13-year-olds that are watching you? And they're thinking, well, pastor must think this is okay, so must be okay. And they lack the emotional maturity and the physical uh, uh, discipline to understand how to uh, participate in out with, uh, with alcohol in the same moderate way that you do. And so they're going to drink it, try it, and who knows what's going to happen as a result of that. So again, it's just a matter of taking seriously the responsibility we have to set a good example. I don't know if any pastor who would say, well, it's okay for me to watch a little bit of pornography uh, on my computer. As long as I just enjoy a little bit of it, I'm okay. 
No, you would say that's not right because if I'm enjoying a little bit of it, it can lead to an to to an addictive habit of watching it. And if I'm enjoying a little bit of it, or if I tell men in my church a little bit's okay, it just opens the door. Pandora's box to them uh, is opened, and it become can become an all-consuming addiction. So I just challenge you to apply uh, in the way you use technology, in the way you use pornography, uh, or the way you don't use these things. I, I, I just challenge you to apply the same principle in the alcohol area, and that is you're setting an example. And remembering that what you excuse in moderation, your followers will often take to excess. Uh, and then there's another issue, and that's just the issue of safety. You know, alcohol uh, lowers inhibitions, and it causes people to do things that are, that are just inappropriate. You know, I've, I've seen it in my family, uh, violence, uh, uh, cruelty, uh, both physical and verbal. Uh, I've seen people not have enough to eat because money was wasted on alcohol. I've, I've watched uh, family disintegration happening because of alcohol. I've seen people have to go to counseling because of alcohol. I mean, all of these things that damage people, not having enough to eat, uh, being physically threatened or being physically harmed, being verbally uh, abused and emotionally distressed because of that, um, not not having enough food to eat, uh, not being in a safe environment where they were able to even have the basic necessity of food provided, uh, emotional distress that, that created need for counseling and the resource that flowed toward that. So in all of these ways, alcohol diminishes the personal safety that people feel in families or in churches are, are even in communities. So, uh, you know, there, there's a reason why uh, there are higher incidences of, of uh, fights and uh, other kinds of crimes around bars. <laughs> and there's a reason why uh, police are more often called to those places than they're called to other places. It's because alcohol and alcohol use and abuse um, is, is, goes hand in hand with a loss of safety, either in homes or in communities. And so, uh, you know, we want to create safe environments. We want our homes to be places of safety where our children feel that they're going to be cared for and nurtured and not have a threat brought into their home. And uh, take it from me, from personal experience, when I, when I saw uh, my dad walk in the house with two six-packs, I knew that it was going to be another bad night. And I knew that the safety of our home had been lost because of the alcohol that had entered our family. And so safety is a big issue, and it's a big important issue for us in ministry leadership, both in our, in our families and in our churches, that we provide a safe, a safe place for people. And then I would take it uh, another step, and that is uh, in many churches, you have people who are recovering from alcohol abuse and alcohol uh, difficulty or al- al- alcohol addiction. And those people want to come to church and find a safe environment. Uh, they don't want to come into a church environment and be tempted to go back to that which was so destructive to them in their past. Um, a few years ago, uh, I hired an, an executive assistant, and she came to work for me from working from one of the largest banks in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she was executive assistant to uh, a, finance, uh, a, a vice president who had a global uh, responsibility. Uh, she took a pretty significant pay cut to come to work for the seminary. And uh, after she had been there for a while, she said one day, um, I'm celebrating a big, important day tomorrow. And I said, well, that's great. And she said, yeah, I'm celebrating tomorrow 25 years of sobriety. And I said, no kidding, tell me your story. So she tells me her story of, of what alcohol did to her in her younger life and how she uh, be, 
uh, came to the place where she uh, moved, uh, where she stopped drinking and launched through a process of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then ultimately from that came, became a Christian and, and then developed a lifestyle of abstinence that had lasted for 25 years. And so the next day at work, we had a celebration for that and commemoration of her sobriety. And as a part of that, she said, you know, there's another thing I want to tell you about working here that you might take for granted. And I said, okay, what's that? She said, well, I'm grateful that I come to work in a safe place where there's no alcohol served. She said, every place I've ever worked work was, one of the, was a challenging place for me. In fact, work was one of the worst places for my temptation to go back to alcohol. She said, I didn't really have any problem avoiding the clubs, and I, I didn't really have any problem uh, avoiding the alcohol aisle at the, at the grocery store. But she said, every time I went to work and there was a luncheon or a social event or anything, uh, in the banking industry, there was alcohol that was available or at least, uh, or that was served or at least available. And it was a constant temptation for me, and I've battled it for all these years. And in coming to the seminary, for the first time in my life, I work in a safe environment where, as a recovered alcoholic, I don't have to face alcohol every day at work. Thanks for creating a safe place for me to work. Well, I just thought to myself uh, how much I did take that for granted and how much our employees took it for granted. But ministry leaders have to create safe places in our families and in our churches and even in our work environments where people who struggled significantly with alcohol uh, in the past can find a safe zone. So here's some reasons at the seminary why we have an abstinence policy. Uh, It's because of deference to who owns us and who employs us. It's stewardship that we might not use resources inappropriately to recover from problems we don't even need to cause. Uh, The issue of example, recognizing that we do set an example as ministry leaders for people who follow us, especially young people who are trying to make life choices about these issues. Uh, Safety, we're trying to create safe zones in our families and in our churches and our communities where people uh, know that they're not going to be impacted by the negative results of alcohol use or abuse and where people can come who've had that kind of struggle in their past and know that they're in a safe place or in a safe zone. And then finally, and then um, all of that adding together uh, just to create uh, the kind of environment and the kind of response we want to make. Now, I'm often asked, well, is it biblical to require abstinence? And the answer to that is yes. Now, you may say, well, quote me chapter and verse. Well, can't do that necessarily. I can quote you many chapters and verses that speak against the use of alcohol and particularly the use of alcohol to the point of drunkenness. And I can tell you that in almost every case where alcohol is used in Scripture, it leads to some, uh, I won't say in every case, in, in many cases, it leads to negative outcomes and, and, and negative results, and those can be easily charted throughout Scripture. Uh, but yet there is no verse that says, thou shalt not drink. But there are many verses that say it's important for us to choose wisely, to choose wisely the behaviors that we exhibit that they might be an encouragement to other believers and an example to other believers, a good steward of the resources God has given us, and create the kind of community that God wants us to have. Um, When when my children were growing up and they reached those teenage years and they get into all the debates about all the different aspects of life and what they can do and what they can't do, uh, my oldest son particularly would challenge me and say, well, you know, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? And does the Bible prohibit this? Does the Bible allow this? And he would talk in terms of black and white and trying to find as uh, the permission to do uh, as much as possible that, of what he wanted to do. And I've consistently challenged my children as they were growing up. Uh, the issue is not always right and wrong. The issue is what is wise. Uh, 
you know, immature Christians, just like immature people, typically teenagers, immature Christians and immature people are focused entirely on what's right and what's wrong and how much they can get away with and still call themselves Christian. But Christian leaders have moved beyond that to a point of asking not the what's black or white question, but what's the wise response to make in every situation. Now, to be sure, there are some black and white issues, no question about that. But when the issue is not so clearly black and white, it's important for us to ask the wisdom question and to say, what's the wisest decision we can make about the behavioral choice that's before us based on all the factors we can bring to bear on the issue at hand? And that's what I've tried to do today on the podcast, is show you how the seminary and how other ministry organizations uh, can bring together these issues to form a kind of a constellation of wisdom around the issue of alcohol use and make a decision about it based on wisdom, not based on uh, how, uh, on right or wrong or black or white or that other question of how much can I get away with and still be a Christian. The better question is how strongly can I hold to certain behaviors and not become a legalist, and that's what we're trying to do. Now, I talk about this today because this is a growing and difficult problem among ministry leaders because it's a growing and difficult problem in our country. Um, A recent study showed that alcohol deaths uh, have increased since the year 2000 by between 35 and 50% per year. That is a a staggering increase. They've been increasing year by year to they reach the point now where it's between 35 and 50% uh, greater than in the year 2000. Last year, about 88,000 people in America died from alcohol-related deaths. That's a huge number of people. This is a growing problem. Uh, We hear a lot about the opioid crisis, but far more people died last year from alcohol-related deaths than did from from opioid uh, opioid, uh, addiction or death. So I'm not trying to diminish other ways that people die or other destructive behaviors. I'm just trying to say that this is a really serious problem in our country, alcohol abuse. Uh, It's killing people. It's destroying families. It's damaging communities. Uh, There's not anything about it that's producing ultimately the kind of results we want in our lives, in our families, in our churches, or in our communities. And so for all these reasons, um, I've come to a position and held to that position for all these years of abstinence as a ministry leader. I just don't drink alcoholic beverages. And I'm challenging you to adopt that same position. Um, Not as a legalistic statement of some uh, thou shalt not position, but as a position of wisdom where you simply say, I get it. Because of issues like uh, deference and stewardship and example and safety, uh, because of these issues, uh, I'm going to make the same choice uh, and I'm going to abstain from using alcohol and encourage other people to make the same choice. Now, why have I decided to do this podcast here around the Christmas time, around the holiday time? Because quite honestly, alcohol consumption goes up dramatically during the holidays. People equate celebrating with, with using alcohol, and so they involve alcohol in, in their Christmas celebration and particularly in their New Year's celebration. Um, alcohol use goes up because people have more, uh, more downtime, more free time during the holidays. Uh, it goes up because there's more sporting events, and people tend to equate uh, drinking alcohol with being at or watching a sporting event. And so for all these reasons, this is an important time to think about this issue as you move into next year.
And as you move into 2019, I hope you'll make a a resolution that this is going to be a part of your decision-making going forward. And if you're a ministry leader and you've already made this choice, I hope that what I've said today will give you some ways to talk about this uh, in your church, in your ministry setting, in your organization that will help people to understand why your organization may also have an abstinence policy and why it's uh, a good policy for ministry leaders to put into practice as we go along. Well, thank you for listening today. It's kind of a a different kind of topic and maybe a controversial one for some, but uh, I want you to think think through the issue with me, Uh, look at it from the perspective of wisdom, make the same choice I've made because I think that is the most uh, helpful and healthy choice for a ministry leader in the long haul. Uh, This is an issue you have to grapple with. Make a good decision as you lead on.